Need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to our second month of NetIP Spotlight, Live Your Potential, where we invite guest experts to speak on a variety of trending topics that matter to you. I'm Justine Alawalia, your host, and I want to warmly welcome you to our show this evening. Today's guest speaker is Deepa Iyer, former Executive Director of South Asian Americans Leading Together, SALT. Today, Deepa will be sharing with us her insider's perspective on leading and working at nonprofits. I'd love to introduce Deepa, um, formerly the Executive Director of South Asian Americans Leading Together. Deepa uh, has been a civil and immigrant rights advocate for 15 years. An immigrant who moved to the U.S. when she was 12, Deepa has devoted her professional career to research, analysis, and advocacy on issues, issues such as race and race relations, immigration, the post-9-11 environment, language rights and access, census, political participation, and voting rights. Prior to her nine-year tenure at SALT, she served as the legal director of the Asian Pacific American Legal Resource Center, a trial attorney at the Civil Rights Division of the U.S. Department of Justice, and a staff attorney at the Asian American Justice Center. Eva's writing has been featured in the New York Times, New Jersey Star-Ledger, Detroit Free Press and Huffington Post. She served as guest editor of Field Notes from the 9-11 Moments and Academic Journal and was the executive producer of a 26-minute documentary about hate violence, which has been screened at college campuses, conferences, and film festivals. She currently serves in a consulting role as self-strategic advisor, teaches at the University of Maryland, and is at work on a book about the changing racial landscape in America. Thanks for joining us, Sita. Thank you so much, Justina. And I know everyone's crazy busy these days and appreciate your investing time in joining us this evening. To give you a lay of the land, Deepa and I will be discussing your insights for about 20 minutes. And I'd like to give everyone a heads up that after about 20 minutes of discussion between Deepa and myself, you'll have the opportunity to ask Deepa any questions, which the discussion may have sparked in you or, you know, come to mind generally. And with that said, let's jump in. So Deepa, I'm sure our listeners would be fascinated by your story of building a nonprofit from scratch. Can you tell us about that? 
Sure. I'm so excited to join you in the NetIP community today. Thank you for having me this evening. Um, Yes, I've had, as you mentioned, when you were kind of going through my bio, a number of different um, jobs in the nonprofit sector and the government sector. And um, my entry point into nonprofit work is actually an example of a lesson I learned in my mid-20s, that it's always a good idea to take detours in your professional journey. And a detour is what led me to the nonprofit sector to begin with when I was about 25, I had been following kind of the straight path, going to college, followed by law school, working at a law firm, but I realized that I wasn't fully satisfied. I felt that something was amiss, and I moved to D.C. Um, for a job with an Asian American civil rights nonprofit, uh, took a 50% pay cut, but it was really the best detour I've ever taken until the one I'm on right now, which I can tell you about a little bit as we keep on talking. Um, sure. So that's really what jump-started my um, entry point into the nonprofit sector. Wonderful. So how, from those different experiences, um, did you go about building, uh, building SALT and building this nonprofit from scratch? Really well, um, yeah, so SALT actually was created by a number of people all around the country in 2000. And okay. I was asked by um, the, the board at that time to join the board of directors of the organization. It was a very new organization. And um, I uh, was really excited to be on board, and I asked um, whether the organization could focus on an issue that was very dear to my heart at the time, which was around hate violence and the fact that South Asians were reporting very high incidents of hate violence and bullying and harassment. Um, and that led me to work on a documentary, which you mentioned, around hate violence. Um, and shortly thereafter, September 11th occurred, and as you know and as the audience knows, that was a real um, watershed moment for the South Asian community sure. in terms of the impact, right, in terms of backlash Absolutely. and bullying and profiling that South Asian Sikhs and Muslims and others faced. And um, so at that point, SALT really took a step in order to try to address um, the post-9-11 environment. And um, we spent a number of years trying to raise money, trying to build some credibility, and in 2004, uh, the organization actually was able to hire its first staff, which was me. And I still remember um, in August of 2004, starting at SALT, we were in a one-room windowless office in midtown Manhattan. <laughs> and when you opened okay. the door, you would hit my desk. That's how small it was. Um, we were severely under-resourced, under understaffed, and untested. And um, But we had a concept and a vision, um, the board of directors, volunteers, and myself, which was to really create a progressive voice for South Asians at the national level and to build meaningful okay. relationships with community members and organizations around the country um, so that we could address issues like civil rights and immigration and other issues that we address now. Um, so really building the nonprofit, I think, had a couple of um, elements to it. One was a strong vision and uh, a strong idea of what it was that the nonprofit would stand for. Um, a second was to really make sure that we were bringing into the nonprofit people who could um, reach that vision and help us fulfill it. Um, so whether that meant staff, whether that meant board members or volunteers. Um, and then the third was to take risks, um, to really uh, try to make sure that we were um, being creative in our thinking and in our alliances and taking risks that would actually end up paying off. Um, so th those were a few ways in which we began to build a nonprofit in the early years. 
Yeah. Interesting. And you bring a lot of great points up in terms of taking risks, in terms of, you know, bringing in, you know, building meaningful relationships. Tell me, of all of those, um, what were the greatest rewards? Looking back now on that whole experience, what were the greatest rewards of leading the nonprofit? You know, what do you look back on now and say, wow, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, well, you know, I always say that being an executive director of a nonprofit, you know, there's no um, there's no degree you can get in it. There are no courses in it. Um, there's sure. no roadmap, <laughs> and and there yeah. aren't as many nonprofit executive directors of our generation um, or our background or ethnicity either. And so, a lot of um, what I figured out as I went along was to really build the bridge while you walk down the bridge and try to mm-hmm. learn from others as much as possible. Um, so I, you know, for me, um, I learned a lot on the job. There were some things I was good at. Um, I needed to learn a lot of the rest, and I needed to hire and bring on people who uh, could help me um, to make sure that we were moving in the right direction. Um, so Outside of that, even though there wasn't a roadmap or sort of a, a set way of doing things, um, I absolutely found that my years working at SALT were some of the most rewarding years I've ever had. Um, and I think that's really because of a couple of reasons. One is I felt like I was aligned with my own personal purpose or my calling. Um, the, in the post-9-11 moment, I felt that that was a moment where I knew I had to use sort of my the privilege that I had in terms of my education, my background, in order to step in and try to lead in a community that um, was really being devastated in a lot of ways. And so it was very um, personal to me, the work, and so it was fulfilling. And then a second reason was um, the community. Um, I think that nonprofit work is um, all about, you know, for those in the audience who might be interested in working in a nonprofit, nonprofit work is very community-centered and people-centered. And so um, the types of people that I met along the way, whether it was community members, uh, I remember working with um, a group of um, workers who were walking all the way from New Orleans to Washington, D.C., um, in order to press for um, changes because they had been exploited in the workplace. Um, I remember uh, working with a number of undocumented students who were trying to get their education. Um, you know, These are the people, along with the people that I worked with from day to day, who made a real impression on me. And so um, the, the, the connection to purpose and the connection to people um, and the connection to issues that are important to me are, are what really kind of stand out in terms of the work um, that I did over the last um, nine years at SALT. Oh, some fascinating experiences. Tom, I bet you have a lot of stories. Any, any uh, you know, put you on the spot, any, any uh, stories, any anecdotes from those um, Sure. Like, a f- I mean, definitely a few always stand out for me. Um, one is um, in 2007, um, SALT ha- held our first national conference called the National South Asian Summit, and it was um, the first time that, you know, we had about 150 people representing different South Asian organizations, um, students, community leaders, professionals come together to really talk about issues. Um, you know, how do we address civil rights? How do we address immigration? How do we address access to health? Um, and I r- really remember that first conference very well. 
um, because it was put on by five people at SALT. Um, but it wow. was really a conference that stands out to me because I felt for the first time that we were really building this kind of um, beloved community, um, this community of people that were connected to each other um, that really wanted to create some sort of social change. And there are moments in that summit that will always stand out for me. Um, another um, another moment that stands out was um, a meeting with President Obama that I was um, fortunate enough to be part of in um, May of 2013. Um, he sat down for the first time um, at the White House with a group of national leaders representing Asian American organizations, and I had been asked to facilitate that uh, meeting with the president. And so being across the table from him and being able to directly engage him um, on issues that affect South Asians and Asian Americans um, was definitely a moment of privilege and honor. Um, and then a third moment that stands out for me, um, which also solidifies for me what SALT um, can do, um, is I'm sure that you and the audience will remember the tragedy that happened at the Gurdwara in Oak Creek, Wisconsin, in August of 2012, sure. right, where there was a, a white supremacist who came in and, and targeted that, that community of worshipers. Um, and I remember um, two pieces around that. One was being in Oak Creek um, uh, a week or so after that incident had happened and being at the memorial wow. service and um, really, you know, feeling sort of the um, the depth of that tragedy on the community there, but also on so many people around the country. Um, and then a moment in Washington a few months later, um, standing with um, other organizations and allies as we um, held a press conference after a congressional hearing on hate violence in the Senate, um, and, and really knowing that you know these are the issues that we need to um, stand up for. Um, these are the people that we need to be advocating for. So those are those are a few moments that for me um, stand out um, in the in the nine years. Momentous, oh, absolutely. Well, you know, you had mentioned the whole, you know, great visual and building a bridge when walking down the bridge. At the same time, walking down the bridge, you're talking. And I imagine that there have been you know, numerous challenges in, in terms of that. Any one or two challenges um, stand foremost in your mind in terms of uh, your experiences leading the nonprofit, leading SALT? Any Oh, there's so Challenge. many challenges. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, a lot of them. Sure. A lot of them are, of course, of my own doing or lack of, you know, having the skills around. Um, I think that, you know, in in many ways, um, it's a quite a. It can be a lonely job, you know, when um, sort of you feel that the buck stops with you and you have to kind of um, be responsible for a range of decisions, from, you know, um, hiring or firing people to raising money to making sure you're communicating uh, the organization's interests properly to stakeholders. And so in many ways, um, you know, there were some of those pieces that I was good at, and there were some that were very difficult for me. Um, and so I think trying to round out my skill set and understanding what my blind spots were um, was a challenge um, because I think people expect you to um, – to know it all and to, to multitask when you're at that level. Um, but for me, it was really understanding what were my blind spots and um, figuring out how I could ask for help. Um, that was definitely a challenge that I had to deal with and overcome time and again. Um, 
And then another piece was that, you know, we also often felt like we were responding constantly to external crises that were happening in our community. So whether it was the Oak Creek tragedy, um, whether it was, um, you know, campaigns in the community that needed to be addressed, um, whether it was uh, immigration, um, anti-immigrant laws around the country, there were always um, uh, these sorts of crisis moments or um, external moments that we had to pivot and address. And I think that's the other thing about nonprofits. You know, for those folks who are interested in working at a nonprofit, I think you have to really develop a work style that can be aligned to the culture of a nonprofit. Um, and, and so those were some of the challenges that um, being an executive director uh, really come to mind for me. Very interesting. I'm, you know, I'm wondering, you had mentioned at the outset, you know, the, um, your experience regarding taking, taking risks and detours in, the, in your career. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned, again, a very diverse and very skill set. Um, I'm, I'm curious as to any guidance that you'd like to share with our listeners who are, you know, contemplating um, making a move or just contemplating um, taking a risk and detour in, in their career. Any, any guidance you'd like to share? Yeah, um, definitely. I think that, you know, um, I'm a big believer in um, taking those detours in your professional journey. I think it's important because um, it can take us out of our comfort zone um, and allow us to develop either different types of skills, I, you know, be going beyond our blind spots, as I was talking about earlier with my own experience. Um, it can really open us up to uh, meeting people, mentors, um, and colleagues that we may not have otherwise. And so I think that if there is a possibility to take a detour, um, whether it's a short one, whether it ends up being a long one like mine was, um, that it's important <laughs> to challenge ourselves to do that. Um, and then a second, you know, I had a couple of thoughts around people who are interested in working in nonprofits. Um, I would say that for those who are thinking about working in the nonprofit sector or making a switch to the nonprofit sector, I really think that to thrive at a nonprofit, um, it, there are two pieces I would point out. One is to um, really understand and find what your purpose or calling is, um, because nonprofits in many ways are sort of, it's sort of the beyond me sector, right? It's sort of the sector where there's some sort of service you might be providing or you're trying to change the status quo, you're trying to change a system. Um, it's very community and people-centered, and um, that's why I call it sort of the beyond me. And it's a very growing um, um, sector in our country as well in terms of the number of people it employs. Um, you know, there are about 2.5 million nonprofits in the country today, um, for example. 2.5 so million, it is a, wow. Okay. Yeah, and it's actually um, employing more people than business or government since 2008. Um, these are some facts from the Urban Institute. Um, and so it's, it's definitely, you know, I, I get a lot of young people asking me, well, how do I get into the nonprofit sector? And, and I think sure. that one, one response I always say is, well, what's your purpose and what's your calling? And that's usually connected to what your values are, um, your own experiences, what, you know, what stirs up fire inside your belly, what gets you excited, what you're ready to burn the midnight oil for. And, and for me, you know, it, I grew up as an immigrant. I moved to um, Kentucky when I was 12. And I think that for me, those experiences of feeling oftentimes as an outsider um, on the margins and not in the mainstream, um, those, sorts of, those sorts of experiences, even though I couldn't really articulate it um, very well until, you know, as I got older, 
really shaped um, my connection to community and, and led me to understand what my purpose for was and is, which is to um, really make sure that immigrants and people of color have equity and equality in this country. Um, so I think finding that purpose and calling is important. Uh, you might not be able to articulate yeah. in, in an elevator speech, but learning kind of <laughs> to understand what the contours are are very important. Sure. Um, and then the second piece of advice I would say for those interested in working or thriving at nonprofits is um, making sure that your work style um, really is connected to the culture of the nonprofit sector. Um, and as I have, you know, I've employed a lot of people and, and supervised a lot of people in my tenure at um, in the nonprofit sector, and I've found that the people who thrive are the ones who tend to be um, very adaptable and very flexible, um, people who can kind of go with the flow and shift when priorities and deadlines and needs shift of the nonprofit, um, people who are okay with being in an environment that is often under-resourced. You know, you're ready to make your own copies mm-hmm. and, you know, things of that nature. So sure. um, I think that having that sort of work style um, is a really good fit for the nonprofit culture as well. Well, excellent points. And, you know, I'm wondering, Deepa, what about our listeners who, you know, maybe they rec- it could be anything, maybe they're recognizing themselves, but they may not have those work styles, but they do mm-hmm. have a draw. They have a purpose. They feel a draw towards a purpose and calling and want to contribute in some way, support in some way the nonprofit sector, um, but they're not in a position to do so professionally. Do you have any guidance for, for those people who would like to, you know, who would like to contribute in some way? Absolutely. Yeah, okay. absolutely. I think that, you know, not everyone um, can can work at a nonprofit for financial reasons, and not everyone feels that the culture is a good fit for them, right? Um, but there are so many ways that everyone can support the nonprofit sector or organizations that you are personally connected to. Um, so I, I'll just offer a couple of suggestions where I've seen this happen. Um, one is to really think about taking on um, leadership at a nonprofit. Um, in terms of becoming perhaps a board member. And becoming a board member is not something that you know one can do just because they're interested. There are a number of skill sets that nonprofits are often looking for, usually people who understand finances and budgets, um, people who are ready to go out there and fundraise, people who might have some skills related to communications or social media. And so those are all types of skill sets that many listeners might have um, that a nonprofit would really like to have on their board of directors. So that's one way. A second way is to, if you're not interested in being on the board, you know, don't have that much time to commit, is to honestly support nonprofits with your financial um, donations. And, um, you know, I can't um, emphasize enough how important that is to a nonprofit. I know that at SALT, for example, you know, we really rely on our own community to support us. Um, Even if we um, raise money from, say, foundations or corporations, um, for us it was always important that the South Asian community supported us because we were and are a South Asian organization. And so whether that is, um, you know, allocating a certain amount um, every year that you're going to give away um, or a certain amount every month that you're going to make a donation to a nonprofit of your choice, um, really thinking about that deliberately and understanding how your values are connected to the organizations you support um, can make a world of difference for a nonprofit and also in your own life to know that you're um, putting your money where your values are. 
Um, a third way is to identify what sorts of skills you might have and to offer your skills um, to a nonprofit organization. We've had a lot of luck at SALT in that way, where, for example, um, you know, lawyers at corporate law firms came to us and said, um, we're really interested in SALT documenting um, the barriers that um, South Asians who are running for elected office face. And we thought, well, that sounds like a great idea. And we asked them, these volunteers, to start us off, and they did. And it led us to, um, a few years ago, put out a national report on um, xenophobia in political discourse, which was um, cited and used heavily um, by media and other nonprofit organizations and stakeholders. So an idea like that um, can actually help a nonprofit out quite a bit in terms of expanding their scope of work. Um, so don't be um, afraid to kind of go to a nonprofit event and to talk to the executive director or staff and say, I'm interested, and these are the sorts of skills I have. Um, I think it always helps a nonprofit when you can tell us what you're interested in rather than saying, what can I do? Um, so people who come up oh. with ideas um, and, and, or direction, um, it always helps us on the nonprofit side of things be able to plug you in properly and appropriately to the type of work that we do. Wonderful. Well, I can keep asking you a million questions uh, with your wealth of experience and your enthusiasm, and I appreciate your sharing your insights with us, Deepa. I'm, I'd love to open up the questions though, so our so our listeners can um, can also uh, ask you questions. So I'm wondering if you have any last thoughts or messages you'd like to share with our listeners before we jump into Q and A. And I'm sure they'd love to hear how they can connect with you as well. So uh, please let us know that. Sure. Yeah. So um, I'll I'll uh, leave you with three things really quickly. One is um, I hope that folks will check out Salt. Um, the website is www.salt. S aalt.org. We have a, a wonderful new executive director who just started, Simon Reganathan, and an amazing staff of people. Um, I hope you'll check out the organization and think about ways that you might want to get engaged with our work and our programs. And when you're on that website, you'll also um, see a list of our partner organizations all around the country that might be located where you are. Um, so if you're in Atlanta, a great organization um, by the name of Raksha. If you're in Los Angeles, another organization by the name of the South Asian Network. If you're in Chicago, um, there's the Indo-American Center. So these are all groups that are in your backyard um, that you could actually be playing a role with and supporting. And so I hope you will check out SALT and check out our partners and figure out how you can play a role in supporting us and the community. Um, and then secondly, if you are interested in the nonprofit sector, um, please feel free to reach out to me or to other mentors um, and people who really want you to join us. Um, we need more folks, um, high-energy, dedicated, interested people um, who want to commit to these different causes in the sector. So to the extent that um, you can reach out to many of us, um, I know that there are people who would be willing to give you advice um, and sit down with you for informational interviews. So please feel free to reach out to nonprofit um, staff so that you can get an in with them. Um, and then in terms of reaching me, um, absolutely, I would love folks to follow me on my website. It's www.deepaiyer, my full name, deepaiyer.me, M-E. And on that website, there's a way to contact me, and you can also um, follow some of the um, writing that I'm doing right now, which, um, as you mentioned, Justina, um, is looking at um, our shifting American racial landscape, how we're 
quickly becoming a majority-minority country. And I'm really looking at what that means for South Asian Americans in particular. And so I hope that folks can um, follow me on Twitter and follow me over the website um, so that uh, you can stay connected to me as well. Excellent. Thanks, Deepa. Now, everyone, now's your chance to ask Deepa any questions which may have come up for you. So if you have a question, again, please press 1, and we'll get to as many questions as we can in the next uh, few minutes. Um, and feel free, when I, when I um, take your call, feel free to share your first name if you'd like or just launch into your question, uh, whatever you prefer. So let me start with the uh, first question over here. Hi, caller. Um, this is a caller from 201. Um, you're on um, 201679. You're on the line. Welcome. And uh, please go ahead and ask uh, Deepa your question. Jasmina, thank you. Uh, Deepa, I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us. Uh, my name is Vic, um, and I do work for two nonprofits um, uh, it, during my free time. Uh, what I want to ask you uh, is you mentioned the idea of having to know it all when you are launching a nonprofit, uh, would you please provide us with some advice uh, regarding how to achieve that level, uh, especially when you are speaking with sponsors or folks who are interested in working for your nonprofit? Sure. Thanks for your question. Um, well, I think that you know when you're when you're launching a nonprofit or if you're starting a nonprofit. Um, you're not going to be able to know it all. And I think that that's okay um, to know sort of what your skill sets are, um, if you're the one starting it off, or what your blind spots are, for example. Um, but a couple of things I would say for people who are actually interested in launching one on their own um, is, is, one, to be really clear about what your mission and your vision is. Um, so what does it mean that your nonprofit actually exists for your community? Um, what what will the community look like if your nonprofit is actually successful? So really thinking about what the mission and vision is um, will be um, so important. And then secondly, to be able to articulate that, um, to do that elevator speech I, t speech I talked about, where you can very quickly um, communicate uh, sort of your vision to other people, whether they're sponsors, like you said, or whether they are um, stakeholders in other ways. You want to make sure that people connect to what you're talking about and can understand what your nonprofit is and what it does. Um, and then the third thing is to really build, again, a community of supporters um, who are going to help you in different ways to launch your nonprofit. So whether that is to support it financially, whether it's to publicize it, whether it's to draw others into um, the nonprofit community. So really trying to build that nonprofit's community. So those are three um, suggestions I would have for anyone who's thinking about launching uh, or starting a nonprofit, which in this day and age is not an easy task. Um, but uh, certainly I think if you've got your mission, vision, can articulate it, you can understand sort of who your community is and build that community, um, you will definitely have success. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. And um, let's take our next. Uh, let's take our next question. And this next question is from Erica seven three two and six six six. And welcome, caller. Um, please uh, feel free to ask your question. Hi, Deepa. This is Aditi. Thank you so much for joining us today. You had an amazing wealth of knowledge that really helped me understand nonprofits better. And um, so I have a two-part question. One of them is mine, and then one we have on our Facebook event, so I'll ask that as well. The question was about, um, you mentioned about adapting your work style to be successful in nonprofits. 
So I wanted to find out more about what that would look like. How could we potentially, how would one adopt their work style to be successful in a nonprofit? Sure. Well, I think that, you know, it's important to understand the culture of the nonprofit first. And every nonprofit is different for sure, but there are some characteristics that all nonprofits share, um, especially if they're on the smaller end. Um, So some of those characteristics are that um, it is usually a very rapidly changing environment, um, that things are moving very quickly and that um, one would have to be able to be flexible and adapt to some of those changing priorities, changing timelines, changing needs. And so that's one example of making sure that your work style um, is uh, going to align with a small nonprofit that tends to change very quickly because of the needs in the community. Um, a second one is to, um, you know, be really invested in trying to shape the culture of the nonprofit. Um, so a lot of nonprofits, um, you know, you, you'll have um, – directors who set the tone, set the culture, but it's really important that all staff, um, entry-level staff onward, feel like they want to help to change the culture, they want to set a certain culture. So, for example, I know I was just talking to a director at a nonprofit who said that um, it's mandatory that lunchtime, that everyone actually sits down around their conference room table and has lunch together. Um, And, you know, usually we're used to kind of eating lunch in front of our computers or going out for lunch. Um, or skipping lunch, um, but this nonprofit really takes the time to make sure that everybody sits around the table and they don't answer phone calls or check their emails um, or their iPhones during that time, and they use it as a time to connect. So, um, so those sorts of ways in which um, I think this was a staff member who had come up with this idea um, at that nonprofit to really kind of help to change the tone and help to change the culture of the nonprofit um, are going to be really important as well. And then people who um, tend to be um, really uh, interested in being around other people and create that sense of community. Um, so those are just some characteristics of people who I think thrive at nonprofits or who really enjoy working at nonprofits, especially kind of the smaller and more under-resourced ones. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. And actually you just answered the question of the person on Facebook. Aparna was asking about, um, adapting work style is one thing, but then how could you bring change about that could potentially benefit the nonprofit? So you answered that about kind of shaking the, shaking up the tone a little bit. So mm-hmm. thank you for answering both of those questions. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you, Deepa. Well, let's go to our next caller, and our next caller is calling from um, area code eight four seven three seven two. Welcome, caller. Um, go ahead and ask uh, Deepa your question. Hi, thanks, Justina. Um, hi, Deepa. Uh, my name is Ritu. I'm actually uh, president of NetIP North America, and a lot of what you were talking about today has been really insightful and really great information. And I was just wondering, I had actually a twofold question, and I know this question had kind of been touched upon earlier, that, that people expecting you to know it all position. Mm-hmm. What steps you have taken to really cement the areas that you did need more of a foundation in? And then other, another aspect was with fundraising and sponsorship, you touched upon how nonprofits need to focus on this as well. It's a very difficult thing to do. You might be very excited for a cause, but how mm-hmm. do you get other people not only engaged in the cause but willing to contribute to it? Oh, those are really great questions. Thanks so much, Ritu. Um, 
Well, let's see. On the first one around, um, yes, you don't know it all, and how do you take steps to know more and to cement that knowledge? Um, I think one is, you know, to understand where the blind spots are first, right? Um, so for me, for example, they ended up being around um, understanding finances and budgets and cash flows. Um, I just was not as familiar with um, going through cash flow statements and making sense of them. And so for me, what that meant was, and the way that I cemented that knowledge was when I built a relationship with our accountant and um, really made sure that I was spending a lot of time with her um, to understand how um, I could not just analyze the statements that I had in front of me um, about SALT's finances, but that I could actually speak about them, um, whether it was to our board or to foundations or others, and to speak about them feeling confident. Um, in addition to kind of learning from someone else, right, which is one way we can always kind of um, cement skill sets, um, I also took classes. And I think for those who are interested in um, nonprofit work, um, you know, the, there are many different organizations that offer these sorts of skills building classes in your own community. Um, so whether it's the Foundation Center, which offers a range of classes to a consortium of nonprofits in your own backyard, um, there are classes that you can take in order to um, really build and understand that knowledge. Um, and so those are a couple of ways. And then I think it's also important to be okay with not knowing at all. I think that in nonprofits, oftentimes the, the executive director um, is expected to know everything, um, but I think it's important that we kind of move away from that sort of leadership, which which forces so much on one person's shoulders. Um, so to the extent that in the nonprofit sector, which might be different from, say, like a CEO of a for-profit, right, um, where at a nonprofit sector you don't have as much support for an ED, uh, the executive director, most of the time, um, it's important to kind of move away from this sense that, well, they do need to know everything and to create support structures um, so that an executive director can lean on um, other people at the organization or on the board um, who can actually fill in some of the knowledge gaps that they have. Um, to your second question around how do you get people excited about your cause, I totally hear what you're saying. That is a very, you know, you might be excited, as you said, um, but how do you get other folks excited? So I've found a couple of ways that get people excited are, one, um, you really have to speak to um, something that connects to them personally. I think that that is um, the reason that people give. Um, you feel, you know, when you think about who you give to, you know, I'm sure all of us give to organizations or causes where something about what that organization does touches our heart or it reminds us of an experience that we've had. And so I think for a lot of the time that I worked at SALT, I would think about, um, you know, how do I turn, say, a program that we work on um, and make it something that someone would actually say, yeah, I totally understand why this is important and I'm going to give. So I'll give you a quick example. I think that um, one of the things that we um, started to do was um, to work on a leadership program for young people in the South Asian community to connect them to policy. You know, how can they, um, as they are thinking about the, the work that they want to do in the community or in their lives, really make sure that they understand how policy works in Washington. And I think as we were trying to raise money for that, um, I really thought about um, how I could talk about emerging leaders in the South Asian community and connect that with other people's experiences. So as you were 
you know, going through sort of your leadership training, what would have helped you? Would it have helped you to be around a group of peers um, that you could have talked to around different ideas? Would it have helped for you to get training on what um, different ways in which you could actually contribute? So really thinking about how you can connect to a person's own individual experience and get them to understand why it's important to give is, I think, very important. And then the second way um, I think people give is because they know other people in their own network who are giving. And so to the extent that, um, you know, you can create a network of people and some ambassadors who will say to their friends, well, I'm giving to SALT or I'm giving to another organization because of such and such reason, and I'd like you to join me. Finding ambassadors um, who uh, really believe in your cause and then will go out and reach others. So those are two um, ideas or concepts that we've used in the past at SALT that has worked. Wonderful. Thank you, Deepa. Wow, the time has flown fast, and it's time closes out. So, Deepa, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure and a real learning experience. Thank you so much. I really appreciate having the opportunity to talk with all of you and um, really hope that you'll stay connected with me. And thanks to you, Jaspina, and NetIP for, for making this possible. Oh, it's been a pleasure. And thanks, everyone, for joining us. In case you joined us late, you would like to show this, share the show with people in your life, I'd like to remind you that a recording of today's radio show will be sent out. Appreciate you hanging out with us, and make sure to join us for next month's show. And we hope you'll all be joining us at the 23rd Annual NetIP Conference this Labor Day weekend in Atlanta. Have a great night, everyone. Take care.